Welcome to episode 18 of the What's Up podcast. It's the 25th of October, 2017. My name is Martin. I'm Ali. And I'm William. So we used to talk about what's in the news, and there's been one big news story, which is probably the worst kept secret in astronomy. Yes. Uh, what is that announcement, William? It is the announcement that we detected gravitational waves and light coming from the collision of two neutron stars. Ooh. Uh, yeah, the, the, the key part of that sentence was that we detected gravitational waves and optical stuff. Well, not just optical, EM stuff, so electromagnetic radiation coming from the object. So this brings together two somewhat distinct bits of sort of observations of the universe. Well, okay, even that's tenuous, right? This, this is very tricky. There's lots of minefields here. Observations is even a tenuous word to use because mm. we, in the last... 400 years since we built the telescope, we've been observing the heavens using light in various forms. Yep. And then in the last 18 months, no, when was the first gravitational no, no, wave detection? No, we could do gravity as well. Which yeah. has multiple ways of defining it, but it's not observing. It's, it's sensing, it's hearing, it's smelling, depending on your definitions. Ripples in the space-time pond, it's as, a, as twer. It's a new way yes. to look at the universe, um, not look. Oh, I keep saying I it. think, do, do you guys think I'm talking, is it hard to overstate just how nice this last announcement was? I mean, it's kind of, it's like, it's like the tip of the iceberg. It's the first of a whole slew of stuff that's going to be happening over the yeah. next few decades. And this is like that one that's like, this is the one that started us down this multi-messenger astronomy I guess thing. to come back to your analogy about ripples in the pond, um, previously all we saw was the ripples or on the pond surface with the first gravitational wave discovery. Now we've seen the rock that got dropped in as well. Oh, nice. Yeah. I mean, I'll that, buy that, yeah. Because you just saw ripples and you don't know what caused it. It could be all sorts of different things. Now you've seen the rock. Yeah. Do you now know, okay, a rock went in and did that. So now we know that's the thing. That's, that's what's caused the ripples. Yeah. And that's, that's what this is. That's so I guess, sh- should we back up a little bit and maybe yeah. do gravitational waves? And, I think we and probably should. Why yeah. this one's um, but, super sexy compared to some of the other ones as well. So I guess, uh, but before, we, before we back up, can I just pick up on just one point you said there, though, about in terms of the excitement of like, this is, this is really cool. Um, I think this is, I think this is the most excited I've seen the observatory for, for quite a long time. The gravitation, initial gravitational wave detection was excitement, but this feels bigger somehow. Um, Two live press conferences, emails going around saying we're going to tune in. I believe the last estimate was something like 15% of all Astronomers have their name on this discovery or some. Well, okay. what I was going to say is this: is this why it was exciting here is because we have people here who were involved in this, and it's mm, so far reaching that everybody's field of science is affected by it. No, I think the thing that's intriguing is that it's a, it's far reaching, but also it's a culmination of lots of previous things coming together in this event. I don't. Know, I'm start to say there aren't other exciting things which people have got. You know, we've had press releases before we've gone and sat and watched, but this one just felt. It's right up there. Yeah. Some of the most exciting. So when you, it's intriguing because the amount of news it's had, I don't think it's as high as some other things. Like Rosetta got more, which mm-hmm. was cool mm-hmm. because it had more of a pop. But this is awesome. Um, um, well, I, I guess for comparison, you've got the Higgs discovery. And if, you know, people have been working on that for decades, finally saw the thing that they wanted to see. And for them, there's almost that palpable sense of relief in a way as well it's like it's another piece of the puzzle slotted in thanks very much so this was like our higgs astronomy going yeah. that yeah. we knew or we thought that should have been happening out there somewhere and now we can say for sure so just to be clear what, what is the thing that's happened what have we seen 
Okay, so it's a gravitational wave detection. That's yep. how this all started. And these are the LIGO guys. They're, they're, they have very sexy kit. They have um, two L-shaped detectors. And there's now a third one uh, called Virgo, which is online. Uh, so two are in the States, one is in Italy. And these L-shapes are kilometer-long arms that they shoot lasers down. And the lasers are very, very finely balanced and tuned. Uh, and they are good at spotting tiny, tiny, tiny variations in... Um, the, the distance that those lasers have travelled. So the arms have to be long. The longer they are, the more sensitive you are. And you're literally waiting for a gravitational wave to pass through. So um, we don't get to see this because we're talking it's fractions of the diameter of an atom, I believe, uh, mm -hmm. is your typical signal. And they can actually measure this now. And the, the big announcement, was it last year, a year before, in 2014? Uh, or 25, can't remember now. Um, so this was a huge deal because they'd sort of um, proved that they could do this and a lot of people were kind of amazed that you mm. could even get to this level of precision. And that um, was the Nobel Prize Physics this year as yeah, well. Yes, was the so this was a huge yeah. deal. And that was for two merging black holes. So black holes themselves, we, we know they exist out there and all the gravitational wave detections since then have been for two black holes merging. So they, they, they come together, but they lose gravitational energy as they're sort of spiraling in towards each other. They eventually merge and it makes a kind of, they call it a chirp. That's the, the shape of the signal that they see in the detector. It has a very funny noise. If you play it, uh, you'll be able to find YouTube videos uh, of people laughing at the bloop. Um, but that chirp tells you huge amounts of information. You can work out the masses of both components that have just merged you can try and work out the final mass of the thing that's left behind and the reason this one was really interesting is it's the first time it's not been black holes or at least one of them isn't a black hole uh, and so that brings us on to the neutron star merger thing um so firstly what is a neutron star uh, william you wanna, you wanna take that one mm. so <laughs> both William as our star expert. So both a uh, black hole and a neutron star are the end products of stellar evolution. So if you have a big enough star at the end of its life, um, when it goes boom um, as a supernova, uh, it will collapse in on itself and um, you get a, a very dense, compact remnant, depending on how big the star is, affects whether it becomes a neutron star or a black hole. So really, really, really crazily dense becomes a black hole. Um, a neutron star is sort of a little bit before that, um, and that's where you get something which is effectively the mass of the sun squeezed down into something about the size of a city. Um, so take all of the mass of that lovely big sun we have up there and squash it down to, for us, something the size of Edinburgh, um, and you get something ridiculously dense where like a teaspoon is, I can't remember what it is, something's crazy, thousands of kilograms tons is, is it is it fair um, to call it a bag of neutrons is that yeah basically i mean if you, yeah i mean basically you think of an atom we often talk about when we talk about atoms we we often have this thing that most of an atom is nothing um an atom that kind of beautiful image we draw in in school when when you draw a few little neutrons and protons in the middle and a few electrons whizzing around um most of the atom is is the space the nucleus the middle bit which is the bit you draw in the middle um actually only takes up like one ten thousandth the size of the actual atom basically a neutron star is where you just take away all the space and you squeeze all the bits in the middle together and you just get a big, massive, big middle bit of an atom. Um, that's a really bad description. But 
ultimately is a ball of neutrons, a bag of neutrons. So I guess we, we've known about neutron stars for ages, right? Because we have um, known about pulsars for a very long time. We have. And so they're neutron stars that actually they're spinning very fast and you get little beams of energy that come out in two directions and they're like little lighthouses, but they're spinning so fast you can actually go and measure they're these fast, like, like millisecond pulsars and things and mm. they've helped to confirm that Einstein's always right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of fun to think about when we say very fast, we're talking about, again, I mean, it's just silly. The numbers are always silly when you get to these things. But it's astronomy. Yeah. So we're talking about something the size, mass of the sun, size of a city, spinning a few thousand times a second. Yeah. What, what, what? That's just, it's just insane. Um, imagine spinning, think of your city you're living, you're sitting in right now and spinning it around a few thousand times a second. So um, I guess, should we go back to the story? So the, oh yeah, um, the detection came. So the LIGO guys and the Virgo guys, they have software that is constantly looking at the data that's coming in when they're in an observing run. I believe they're now in quiet mode because they're retuning the equipment yeah. for to make it even better. So they got a blip in the software and said, whoop, something's happened. And then they looked at the masses and realized that they, these couldn't have both been black holes. One of them had to be a neutron star. That got very exciting. And uh, they were able, thanks to Virgo, the third component being switched on as well. And Virgo didn't actually see anything, but that tells them something as well. So it was actually in Virgo's blind spot, apparently. So it was, it was aligned or misaligned relative to the signal. So it didn't see anything, but they knew... Uh, to a much higher degree of precision, roughly where this was on the sky. Now, the previous gravitational wave detections, they've only had the two detectors, and the localizations have been rubbish. Like, it's like somebody saying, it's somewhere in the UK, and you have to go and find a, a garage or something. It's, 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 it's very hard to try and find the thing that might be left behind. So this one, it still was a relatively large um, footprint on the sky, but mm. way smaller compared to previous. I suppose it's like, rather than saying it's a garage in the UK, it's a garage on this couple of streets or in this postcode. Yes, yeah. exactly. Really so you can narrow it down and then um, the, the, the sort of the chain of events goes that they put out this sort of astronomy telegram and all of a sudden everybody gets alerts. So the red phone rings. Anyone that's at an observatory gets the phone call, sees the email. The email says it's in this sky region somewhere. Everybody go and have a look. And then it's just a race. Uh, first person to find it wins. Um, and I, I believe that went to the, the Swope supernova people. Yeah. Um, so they had something like... Uh, a couple dozen galaxies to choose from. They just started going through them and they were looking for something that wasn't there in previous images. And um, as soon as they'd found it, um, everybody started to go, yeah, we think this is the thing. So they've seen something that looks kind of like a supernova. Uh, this bright star-like thing uh, just off to the side of a galaxy. Was it NGC 4433? Should have written that down. It was like NGC galaxy. Um and uh, and then the observations came in thick and fast. So we're we're talking just about every every telescope we could have possibly pointed at this thing got pointed at this thing. Yep. So we have a few so hours. much data now. Yeah, um, and I think that's one of the key points here is we've observed this in. This is one of my favorite things about it is we observed it in gamma rays, X rays, uh, visible light, infrared, submillimeter. Maybe it's too, no, it's too warm for yet. that. I think we'll mm. we'll get there. That's so, a good point. Don't know. And I guess that but gamma ray detection is the next thing that makes this exciting yeah. as well yeah. because it ties together something we've we've seen lots of but have never quite pinned down what's doing what we're seeing and that's the short gamma ray bursts um, and it all comes back to neutron star mergers again yeah so it's, it's worth having that gamma rays are the most powerful sort of type of uh, electromagnetic rays we get um, they're the ones we use on the earth to help cure cancer that kind of thing where you want to kill lots of cells um, they're Uber, uber powerful rays. Um, and that sounds a bit silly. Uber powerful rays. I don't know. I edit that out. You can um, find suntan with a gamma ray glow. 
they're very powerful. Um, and so you have to have something incredibly kind of um, dramatic happening to generate them. Um, and so strangely, over the last you know, few decades, we've been seeing these little bursts of gamma rays appearing in, in different parts of the, the, the unit on the sky. Uh, we don't know. We didn't know what they were from. We get them in two varieties. We get short generation bursts where it's just a little pip. Um, and then there's ones where it's a little bit longer. And it really is a plip, though. It's like, like yeah. two, two seconds for gamma rays, and that's it. Go on. Yeah. yeah. It's a little flash somewhere on the sky, um, which we, you know, we really, we don't exactly know what they were from. Um, there's lots of theories, and the theory which has slowly gained ground through lots of different observations has been that it was because you had two things like a neutron star or two neutron stars merging. Um, and hey, presto, we got a pip. We got a little burst of gamma rays um, saying it was a short duration burst. Um, at the same time, yeah. exactly the same time as we got the uh, the, the gravitational I think wave they were, they were only 1.7 seconds out. Yes. And that's a that's... huge deal if you're a cosmologist because it means gravity and light travel at the same speed. Yeah. Now, we didn't know that before. Uh, really. To be honest, thinking about the speed of gravity is not something I do often, um, but this is the kind of thing that Einstein was good at thinking about, and it turns out that you do need to, to send a signal in the universe, whether it's gravity or light. That signal still has to take time to get from A to B. So if you suddenly move a mass around, it's not like everybody sees that instantly. You've got to wait for that wobble, and that's kind of what your gravitational yeah. wave is. Um, if the sun disappeared now... We'd have to wait a wee while. We'd wait, we'd wait eight <laughs> minutes for the light to go out. But also eight minutes for the Earth to go, whoa, there's nothing holding in place and start flying off in a, a different direction. Um, okay, that's, that's going to be my nightmare for this evening. <laughs> <laughs> Chicken watch in eight minutes. Oh, that's all right. Yeah, but it's, it's nice because it's sort of, it's one of those we were expecting it, uh, but to be able to say we've seen it and quite quickly after LIGO was starting to get good at seeing these mm. things at all. Um, yeah, and it, I think... It's kind of huge. Yeah, for me, the, 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 the excitement is the fact that it, it's bringing together these different bits. So I do like your kind of Higgs boson. This is your equivalent. It's finishing a jigsaw puzzle thing. But this is like the corner piece where like lots of different jigsaw puzzles interact and we've gone, boom, it fits. There's, there's, you've got your GR stuff, which is being measured and we're checking the speed of light. You've got your kind of random pip things, which, which we've been seeing and we don't really know what they are. We haven't had an independent way of checking what they are. We've got the evolution of stars, which leads to these things in the first place. We've got our detectors, we've got all these things, and they, they come together in this yeah, so moment. So and it's just awesome so that it we're works. We're confirming that short gamma ray bursts are neutron star mergers. Yep. We're being able to confirm uh, nuclear um, nucleosynthesis, how we get a whole bunch of our well, heavy elements another. produced. So literal mm. rewriting of textbooks. Um, we'll, we'll come back to that in a second. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, we used to say heavy elements get made in supernovae, and that is true to a certain degree, but now neutron star yeah, mergers so are, are hugely important in this as well, and they've always been a bit of a grey area in that lovely um, periodic table of elements diagram, but that's now updated. It's officially new and yeah. shiny and, and can say these are all neutron star merger element. Mm -hmm. um, it's also managed to rule out about 50% of alternative cosmology models um, yeah. for most people this doesn't matter anyway because uh, general relativity our, our lambda cdm model this one keeps being resistant to everything we throw at it so it's still our best model there's a whole bunch of alternatives that do quite crazy things in the universe uh, on large scales 
And this has ruled out a whole bunch of them because light and gravity were needing to travel at different speeds in those models. And they've now been literally thrown out. So people could have spent a long time working on some of these. Uh, and then to have this detection oh. makes, it, it, it must be oh, tough. tough. I mean, they must have, the people that work on the theories must know that, you know, you're, you're doing it with that sort of, always that possibility that there's going to be some observation that goes, nope. Uh, thank you for your effort. Uh, so yeah, it must be really tough to sort of see that come in. But then at the same time, good, because... You know, the work that you've done is can still be useful. It's just not correct. That's the, the yeah. caveat. What else has well, it done? Well, There's probably a, 10 uh, other things that I haven't yeah. mentioned. I think the other thing that was saying not correct is an intriguing point, though, that I'd still argue that you know, this doesn't prove anything. It, no. ju it just shows that we're, we're not wrong yet. It's um, another piece of evidence that backs up our prevailing yeah. theory. The, the models we have of the universe have... have uh, the different, in fact, in some ways, different part, different models come together to say, yes, the, these overlap in a way which we had predicted and hoped. Mm. Um, and it still might be the universe is doing something completely different, but it's in a way which we we are currently predicting. So if the underlying physics happening 1.3 billion light years away, how far away is away? Something like that. Yeah, something no, it's 100 million light years. It, anyway, whatever's happening over there. It, it might be something, I don't think it is, but it might be something fundamentally different, but it's, it's doing it in a way which we totally predict. Yes, um, I mean, which it's is not so like astronomers are going to pack up and go home anytime soon. I no. mean, there's an awful lot of unknowns still. Uh, and even with this detection, there's things that don't quite make sense. No. Like nobody knows what happened to the end product, which is yeah. quite interesting because they, they have a rough idea of what the final mass was. Uh, but nobody's quite sure uh, if you would make... Uh, single black hole from these two neutron star mergers or if a fatter neutron star would be left behind. I think a lot of people are leaning towards black hole. But it would be the smallest black hole we know of, wouldn't it? Or yes. So, uh, there's so this weird would, sort of mass gap that as a neutron star gets up to, is it something like three solar masses? Yeah. It shouldn't be a neutron star anymore and eventually it, it just gets sucked down into a black hole as well. Um, but that's, uh, depending on how you run the numbers, that can be uh, uh, in that sort of range. And then the smallest black hole we've got is something like five yeah, so, so, so between yeah. three and five, there's like this yeah. gap, and it, it sits it right on, on the edge yeah. of that gap. Yeah. I mean, there's there's loads of as you say the whole stuff about the nuclear synthesis. So the generation of heavy metals is 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 slightly surprising, actually, mm. I think, isn't it? Um, so so actually, yeah. Whilst we're saying it, it all fits the models. Um, there are some things we've gone. Oh, that's a bit weird. The fundamental models are good. It's the kind of noise on top, which is kind of the really interesting. The devil's thing. in the detail. But, exactly. Um, yeah. The science is in the detail. Um, I I don't know. I mean, you know, this is kind of a random question i suppose but you know why why do you care about the discovery because you know everyone's getting excited and it's nice to have a live announcement and you see pals with their name on the discovery mm -hmm. but um i don't know I'll, I'll answer after you guys i think for me it was the fact that as i said earlier on there's so many different observatories involved so many different wavelength ranges it sort of shows why we have telescopes that cover the whole em spectrum and now the thing that isn't the em spectrum because using these all these things together is what gives you the information. You can't just have telescopes that look at, take photographs and look at visible light and that's it. You need not only the whole wavelength range, but you also need the imagers, you need the spectrographs, because you need to take the images to find the thing you're looking for, this new thing that wasn't there yesterday, and then follow that up with a spectrograph or a spectroscope, and that's when you find your heavy elements. That's when you say, okay, well, that's what this is made. That changes things. You need everybody to work together, and it's... What seventy observatories involved in this thing? Um, what, thousands of people on the papers. Three and a half thousand names on one it. paper. It's just, just, yeah. just crazy. The collective kind of effort, yeah, intellectual thought, which has create allowed this to happen. Just as a slight aside, I did comment at the beginning of the podcast. This was the worst kept secret in astronomy. 
The reason yeah. I made that comment was because Hubble was involved. One of the one of the telescopes that looked at for this object, and Hubble PR's machine decided to tweet out what Hubble was looking at, what part touched the sky, and when this happened, it essentially revealed they were looking for a neutron star merger at this part of the sky. Yeah, so well, when you upload a target to Hubble, even if it's an override, you still have to give the target a name, and they called it something like NSNS merger question mark. <laughs> and and Hubble, it went and took a picture of NSNS merger question mark, and everyone went, oh. <laughs> I think it was very quickly deleted that. But, but well, to be honest, you can't hide it, because every telescope on the planet started pointing at the same part of the sky. Yeah. So if you were near any of the observatories, you'd, you'd be going, well, okay, everybody, everybody seems also to be. Also, a, a lot of uh, pointing directions are publicly available. I mean, yeah. telescopes, we, we try and be open and transparent as we possibly can in astronomy. So. I did like that somebody pointed out that there's, there's clearly no alien conspiracy theory given how rubbish we've been trying <laughs> to keep this under wraps until the actual press release. Yeah, so that, that. This, this is just a smokescreen. It's, it's been an interesting test. Uh, but I guess this is why I like the discovery and it's a little bit more selfish, but it's you never quite know. Like being an observer, I love being an observer because of this. Like every so often something really rare is going to happen. If you just happen to be at the telescope when the red phone rings, you're seeing this thing for the first time. And that is kind of, it sort of makes it more um, visceral and, and rather than this thing that happened over there, you're kind of like, ah, oh, we, we got that in the can right when we needed to. So yeah, that keeps things very interesting. Yeah. Um, and I'm only slightly sad that I wasn't at a telescope on the day it happened, but you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, it would have been nice, wouldn't it? I know, I mean, for me, I think, yeah, as I said, I think it's that culmination of lots of different bits of research and decades. And how exciting is it to sort of, the, the uh, gamma ray stuff, the fact that we, we had these weird signals, which for a long time were a real puzzle of like, what could be causing this? Slowly people come up with ideas and theories, we build, we test. Um, but in a lot of areas of astronomy, we're stuck with the original data set in order to verify things. In some, not original, but you, you can't find an independent way to test it. Yeah. With, Whereas with a lot of science, you try to rerun experiments. Yeah. In astronomy, we have to wait for the universe to throw things at us, and it very rarely, rarely throws the same thing twice. Yes. And, and if we only measuring it in one type of way, then is there a danger that we're misinterpreting something? But if you come up with a theory which says, okay, there should be a completely different way to verify this. And we do that, and it still works. Then your theory is that little bit more robust, and that's just tremendous. And that's, that's good science. You know, that's, yeah. you know, Because we'd have thrown out of all our you know, gamma ray theories tomorrow if, if, if that, that, these things hadn't synced or yeah. hadn't worked. It, that, that, the whole area would be completely in turmoil, whereas it kind of... We're kind of moving on to the you know fast radio bursts. That's uh, the kind of new equivalent where these things are happening all the time, but yeah. we we don't know. These are the blips in the radio instead of in the high energy range. Yeah, um, and they're going to need uh, an explanation. And there's a lot of ideas, but nobody's yes. nobody's got a winning smoking gun type thing yet. So it's, it's very interesting, yeah. but. It's kind of weird. As soon as you turn an instrument on, you get a whole bunch of answers, but then mm. you know almost the same amount of questions yeah. as well. Which um, is reassuring. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting when we go to the next generation gravitational wave detectors, when LISA eventually goes up, which is a space-based one, which is, I was saying the sensitivity goes up with the longer arms. The arm length on LISA is going to be, what, a million kilometers? Yeah, something mm. like that. Something crazy. So it's just going to completely change this field. And gravitational waves is already changing what I'm going to refer to as normal astronomy, but this observational astronomy we've been doing for 400 years. When that thing goes live, it's going to be a whole new epoch in this research yeah apparently some of the um one of the things we'd, we'd like to be able to detect which would be interesting is is kind of the uh, supernova associated with um 
smaller objects are white dwarfs, which are again kind of compact small objects, not as small or dense as a neutron star, but um, a supernova associated with one of those. Um, apparently, those are going off all the time across the universe. At least will be so sensitive that, that they're just noise in the background, <laughs> that it's just kind of there's a continual rumble of these things going ping, 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 ping across the whole of the universe, which at least we're seeing instantly. Yeah, the gravitational wave background. It's, it's insane. insane. Like ripples on the ocean. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. And then the events like this will happen. Which yeah. will jump out of the noise and go, Ooh. Uh, Yeah, that's a whole, I mean, that's, okay. That's it's also interesting that away, it's, but, it's, it's very like musical instruments. The size of your detector, it tells you what you can, what you're sensitive yes. to. Yes. Mm-hmm. So um, I can't remember which way around it is, but it's almost like the difference between human hearing and dog hearing is uh, Lisa's good at a certain range. So it will hear one type of event, whereas Lisa will hear pieces of those same events, but at different times. So you could hear it much earlier, maybe, or much later uh, as it goes in and out of the different hearing ranges of these things. So it's all, it always comes back to hearing. I still can't get away that yeah, we should hearing be is quite smelling good. a gravitational wave detection. But yeah, pick a set. I'm afraid to say I think hearing works quite well. <laughs> yeah, I think it does. I think one other area where this is interesting is that it, it's going to open up different bits of research. We're talking very much about the kind of stellar evolution merger kind of side of things, which is, which is interesting. But it gives us another way of measuring the distance to objects in the universe, which right now we've got four gravitational wave detections, four distance measurements. Um, and really, this is the, the key one. But, um, but in the future, when we get more of these, we're selling and have new ways of mapping distance scales in the universe. And that's distance in the universe is damn tricky. And it's generally built on a whole like stack of kind of, we measure this thing nearby with this technique, and then we measure something else with another technique, which kind of overlaps a bit. And then we do the next thing. And it's, yeah. we call it talk about a distance ladder. And it, that ladder is it works, but it's kind of a, in some ways it's a little bit shaky because it doesn't have a, it doesn't have another strut on the ladder to support yeah. us from the sides. And this is what we're finding a completely different way of measuring the distance in the universe, and that's tremendous. Again, that's so far. Yeah, this had, one's we've had a distance pole, but I've got a distance ladder. Yeah, <laughs> to yeah. yeah. So that's going to be an area. I think one of the areas where we might see some big distances because it, it allows us to do things like measure the expansion of the universe which is completely removed from, from basic... I'm waving my hands around. Sorry. Um, I'm getting that excited. Um, it, it, it's completely removed from measuring the death product of a star, which is interesting. But the same measurement technique lets you also say something about the rate of the universe expanding. I mean, that's, that's where these kind of... And this is all for one event. So, oh, yeah. you know, once, once, they, once they can get statistical with it and they've seen 20 or 30 or more, then, then we'll oh. start to have more answers on some of these other things we've yeah. been talking about. But, which, uh, which might just re- reinforce what we already know, which is re- good and really, really important, or it might throw up some more questions, which possibly more exciting. Yes. <laughs> but either way, as these discoveries get made, we will keep you informed on the podcast. So do keep listening to us. Do keep subscribing. I think we'll finish for today at this point. It's we'll probably for the best. Let William and I go home and we'll <laughs> let Ali get back to finishing off his PhD thesis. <gasps> Don't mention the thesis. <laughs> you might hear more about that next month. Uh, thank you very much for making us part of your week and listening to us. Please leave us reviews on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and we do have a comment section on the website, so feel free to ask your questions there and we'll try and answer them in future podcasts as well. Cheers, all. Thank you. Bye. Bye.